0: Was that hot girl summer or is that something different?
1: <laughs> Might be something different. Not like, sure. I think it's
0: something different. <laughs>
1: Welcome to American Girls, the podcast. This is the show where we're reliving the American Girl series book by book. I'm Mary.
0: I'm still Allison. Allison.
1: Wow. Thank you for being here, Allison. Thank you for joining me for what feels like it will be a traumatic conversation.
0: (laughs) Yes, and we were led in today by The Last Rose of Summer, a 1905 song by Adelina Patti, who was a famous singer in Samantha's time. Love it.
1: I had to learn that song when I took piano lessons, so like actually this takes me back.
0: What I thought was interesting about it is like one, Samantha is kind of like the last surviving rose of summer. Oof. And the public domain page that I found this on described Adelina as past her prime. And I was like, you know, Damn. Didn't really hear that um, about my friend, Addie?"
1: No, I mean, I, th- I feel like I need to visit her Wikipedia page and make sure that it's <laughs> scrubbed clean of any reference to her being past her prime.
0: I mean, is Addie Patty unfortunate? Yeah, but like it seems like she went by Adelina. So it's not my place to say.
1: And I mean, we weren't in the times. Like maybe that was like a really cool nickname. So true. I don't know. So true. Who can say?
0: How are you? How
1: are things?
0: I'm doing great. I mean, we're both kind of on a Perry Mason high.
1: I mean, high, low. I'm not really sure what the appropriate like <laughs> way to describe that is, but yeah.
0: It's it's a dark show. I'm I'm nodding my head vigorously. Yeah. Um, I thought it was going to be Contained episode by episode, but instead Perry Mason is solving like larger crimes. No one is indicting Herbert Hoover on this show, which is kind of a relief for me. That's um, no, not that wrong take, yes. Wrong take, I know. <laughs> um, but it's about crime solving in the 1930s. And what I'm finding, and what I think our listeners would find really interesting, is there is a representation of a kind of like father Coughlin type figure who's a woman preacher and you kind of can't tell if she's scamming if she's for real what she believes and she's kind of caught up and maybe complicit in a Lindbergh baby s crime so if that sentence made any sense to you I think you'd like this show the
1: minute I saw that woman and her like revival style service and also her really like weird vibes over this Lindbergh baby murder where it's like she's inserting herself into it so clearly she must be involved again I'm like not that deep I texted you and I was like, this is wild. Now, will I say that there are also, it's very violent. Like Anna will yes. never see a frame of this show. There was a cut of a body in a dark room that had been shot in the head. And yes. I was not prepared for that image. So I will just say if that, you know, I'm just putting that out there that that's like part of it.
0: It is definitely dark. It has elements of sort of. Noir fiction. There's some art deco if you like that. So, if you just want to watch it with mute on and watch the house <sighs> scenes, where I think like they're winking at us specifically. Like, I don't like to say wow. that HBO execs listen to this show, but if they did, there's a scene with the charismatic preacher woman where she's on a boat. And if it's not ripped, oh
1: my God, from
0: this Samantha book. Who? Honestly, I guarantee that someone told Ms. Tripp about this and she picked up a telephone and she has her lawyer on speed dial yes. because you know she does. Like, he's her yes. contact. There is a scene where this woman has a vision on a boat and it's it's fake peril. They're inside, unlike Samantha's like trauma revisiting real peril. It's shocking.
1: It was so shocking watching that. And even though you kind of know as a viewer that it's sort of fake, it's like After I watched that and then I read this book and I was like, the connection is there. And at the whole time, I was like, this episode should be called Row, Row, Row Your Boat Gently While I Scream because it's like, (laughs) this is the most traumatic rowboat ride I've ever been a party to. But also not unlike Perry Mason, who served in World War One, like, thank you for your service. He has traumatic flashbacks to the battlefield throughout this show. And I'm not really sure, like, what's going on with that yet. But it's connected. It's sort of like explanatory of like why he has such a negative view on life. It's like those PTSD flashbacks, if I may, are totally also in keeping with this book.
0: Yes, I agree. There are these like passing references to kind of what's Perry Mason's deal and part of it is he has a dishonorable discharge and I won't give away why that is because I think that's actually like an important revelation in the show but there are all these things like his chosen career takes him back to those moments again and again and again Samantha and the characters choosing to revisit the precise way that her parents drowned was such a shock I mean the stuff in the
1: attic um The twins of it all, like we're going to get into it. I have a lot of strong feelings like vacation culture, like everything that's running through this book. It's like this book was made for me, but it's also like this is my terror. I read this before bed. This is the last pop culture thing I'll reference, but I'm also started reading at the behest of a friend. Good, very good friend of ours. (laughs) Hello, Winnie. Um, Finding Freedom, Harry and Meghan and the Making of a Modern Royal Family, which was released this week. This book is nuts. Like, first of all, I'm actually disappointed in this book because I was told this was an unauthorized biography, which to me means license to ill. Like, I'm going to get a lot of dirt here. And instead, it's reading like an authorized biography, which is not for me because it's very censored. And that's not what I want.
0: I mean, how I think it's hard not to be disappointed right now. Like, I think you're disappointed for reasons that are different than the queen is disappointed. Like, we're all let down by Philip. It's like, I, I don't know, like, is it a day that ends in why? I think part of the bigger question is, like, given the fact that, like, she's made a sacred vow to serve, right? But he hasn't. It's like, he kind of keeps doing this thing where it's like, no, it's really over. It's like, they're the Ross and Rachel of the monarchy. It's like, just yes. take a break and don't come Just, back.
1: Or he's kind of like the Elton John who's like, no, seriously, this is my retirement tour. <laughs> and it's like, I'm not buying a ticket anyway. I haven't bought a ticket for any of the tours. Like, chill out. But he does yeah. remind me of like the mummy that would be unwrapped at a party, perhaps attended by Samantha. Like, yes. We have a friend who does really cool research on Egyptology and he's the one who told me about the fact that there were actually parties in this period where people would buy a mummy from ancient Egypt or wherever and unwrap it like for sport, Mm. which is just beyond. But like, I'm just sort of like imagining Philip on Christmas morning, imagining that like he's been bought as a mummy to be unwrapped. And instead they're like, no, Philip, like you're still here. (laughs) And it's like, that's how I feel.
0: Like he's still alive. What? He's still trucking and he'll say that he's retiring and then he steps out. You know, I mean, not on like Valerie trip where it's like you thought I was dead. I'm back. Or you think I'm going to be here. You think I'm safe. Nellie's out. Like, I'm just going to invoke that particular yes. name, even though there's a few crimes that have been committed. Mm-hmm, um, correct. We we both, like, truly enjoyed Samantha Book 5. I feel like we have flown through our time with her. It's gone like, so
1: fast, like, truly. It's not over. It's not over. Way more content. But <laughs> we have a movie this time around. Let's not forget that, Allison. So we get to stay with Samantha for for quite some time.
0: We have a feature film. There's a play. Like, there's a lot of different things that, like, we are starting to set into motion, I would say. I love when people send us ideas, if they have concepts, but like we're going to be with Sam for a while. So like Sam girl summer is not over. Sam
1: girl summer will continue until we say otherwise. Yeah. Wow. Well, you ready to get into it?
0: I'm very ready.
1: Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Podcorn.
0: Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to advertisers for native podcast sponsorships.
1: What does that actually mean? Well, for our purposes, it means that we don't have to run ads on our show for products and services we don't believe in. We take this community really seriously. So we've in an ongoing way been trying to match with products that actually meet our mission and our values and are things that we're proud to support. So Podcorn has been a really wonderful service where we've been able to log on to their site and find a bunch of advertisers who want to work with us that we're excited to work with as well.
0: If you're creator and you're looking for brands that you might want to work with, Podcorn is a great option. They have a marketplace mission to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and control. And you never give up exclusive rights to your podcast. Click the link in our show notes to learn how to sign up and to learn more about Podcorn.
1: That's right. So just head over to podcorn.com and get started today.
0: So at the risk of being tedious, because I did do this another time. No, I think it's important, though. Scholastic and other publishers have different summaries on their websites for this book. Okay. And part of why I think this is significant is. Different versions, like different publication, little like snapshots of this book. Some of them always feature Nellie. Like they repeat some of the same language. And I just want to share like the difference between these like very different summaries. One of them starts with like the language we've heard before, which is that she's a bright Victorian beauty. Her world is filled with frills and finery, parties and play. But Samantha sees that times are not good for everybody. That's why she tries to make a difference in the life of her friend Nellie, a servant girl whose world is nothing like Samantha's. Samantha and her friends set off on a secret summertime exploration that lands them in the middle of a dangerous storm. Here's what I don't like about this. We learn two things. There's a perilous outing and Samantha's friend that she's like totally devoted to is Nellie. Is Nellie on this outing? Yes or no? No. No. Here's another summary. This one's even shorter, but I, I I like it's, you know, how concise it is. While spending the summer at Grand Mary's home on Goose Lake, who knew it was the whole summer? Samantha and the twins, Agnes and Agatha, decide to visit the island where Samantha's parents drowned during a storm. <laughs> oh, my God. And, like, if I said that, like, I work for the ID network Yeah, because this is basically a true crime. It is
1: like imagine rolling into Pleasant's office and reading that description as your pitch. You're like, don't worry, got book, uh, whatever this is, book five, ready to go. Here it is. She's going to revisit the scene of her parents
0: death. And you and you are saying that and it's very literal like this. This book is like actual like a ritual recreation of her parents death, which Grand Mary very obviously has not not dealt with at all. No. Um, oh, my like, God. No. Like they don't have Freud, but they don't need Freud. Like all the stuff from Samantha's parents has been stashed away in an attic, like not to be unearthed or like taken out of the archives. So they have all of Samantha's parents things and particularly her mother, Lydia's things up in the attic stashed away just like Lydia the doll was before she was given away to Nellie. Fake wow. friend. And I think what's like really interesting about this book is we we kind of get thrown some softballs in the beginning. Like we hear that the family is going out to this camp in the Adirondacks and then kind of out of nowhere. It's like I felt like I was at a paintball range while I was reading this book. It's like there's a new love interest for grand Mary. Yeah, we're recreating the parents death Nellie is apparently gone for the entire summer Agnes and Agatha are like back at it no one is keeping eyes on guarding Cornelia uh this early in their marriage it's like that's a huge question mark but like truly the introduction of a new love interest for grandma in book five I was like Valerie slow down
1: what in the world was she thinking like where was her head at with this and also like it begs a lot of questions because first of all. Well, I became aware of this man in the character <laughs> portraits, Admiral yeah. Archibald Bemis, love that name, a jolly Englishman who visits Grand Mary every summer. So immediately I'm like, wait a second, who the hell is this? And then he gets introduced and it's like, oh, don't worry about him. He's just visiting Grand Mary every summer. And then it's like, oh, he was grandfather's best friend. And then yep. it's like, oh, wait, sorry. He actually proposes to Grand Mary every summer. It's like, I'm sorry, what?
0: Like, I don't wanna go here, but it's like, isn't there a boar war you should be fighting, Admirable Venus? Like, oh my I, God. Yeah, yeah. So, I wanna talk us through very quickly, cause I think it will like explain some things. I rely on the American Girl fan sites that give me like rich details to make sure my, you know, fact checking is right. Okay, great. There are so many new locations in this story. Like, for book two, it was like, All you need to know is she goes to school and she has an attic. Here's what we have to take in in book five. Piney Point, Grand Mary's summer vacation home because like, you know, one is not enough. Sure. The Boathouse. That's where Archibald Bemis has to live. Don't love that for him. No. The Cabin House. Then we have Rose Cottage and the two other kind of settings. Like we have so much to take in. There's yes. Woodticken, yep. which is where Samantha, Agnes, and Ag are all relegated to. Yep, situated on Goose Lake and Teardrop Island. It's like I didn't major in geography to like take on this podcast
1: it's so much and it's also kind of weird to me like in laying out the constellation of this camp which (laughs) like I guess makes sense like that they have all these like different cabins or whatever like I am not rich I do not come from like camp culture and I'm also not someone who enjoys camping in any variety so like that's just where I'm at with this so I was already like this is not like a luxury vacation to me like I would not probably enjoy this But Grandmari is so controlling. The fact that she's willing to let these three eight-year-old or nine-year-old girls be alone in this like one-room cabin, yeah, to me doesn't that doesn't feel like it's on brand.
0: It doesn't. And I think there's I think there's something to be said for like, you know, again, we're reading this as adults. It's like I will never get over the lack of transparency as far as like where family money comes from. Yes. And folks have told us that we will learn guards profession. I am letting that happen in like the time of the universe. So I refuse to Google that. Fair. This family's Adirondacks home is like absolutely on brand for the time, like absolutely fits perfectly with like the culture that they come from, with like the world that they are about. I think what's kind of like interesting and odd is like they are actually their own camp because they have Cabin House, Rose Cottage, Woodtick in, Inn, um, as well as the Admiral's Quarters. And it's like this is like a very extensive setup for a place that has never been mentioned before. Which is fine because she's a child, but truly, I was like would take in like I needed a trigger warning about Lyme, like yeah, forget I mean drowning. I was like Val, so much. it's like Val,
1: this whole book is so Freudian because it's I like know. what this book is actually inviting you to do is is really confront your own deepest fears yes. and watch you watch characters put themselves in a situation to either revisit past traumas or or like pursue past traumas that may be mixed with desires, which is all very Freudian. So like we have to watch Archibald, Admiral Archibald Bemis <laughs> come to maybe the love of his life. I don't know what the past held. Like maybe he's always been in love with Grand Mary and he's mm. was waiting for grandfather to kick it so he can move in there, but she can't accept him because she's still mourning and loves the grandfather but he keeps putting himself through this agony of being with her every summer because the only greater agony is not to be with her so it's like there's that piece We'll hmm. get into revisiting the site of your parents death but also wood tick in or whatever that's called it's like I'm sorry as a reader you're forcing me to think about Lyme disease <laughs> and in the past 10 years like celebrity culture has embraced like the panic over Lyme disease in such a way that it feels like exponentially like louder
0: to me yeah. I i mean, you're talking about the Hadid.
1: Yeah, I'm talking about the Hadids. I'm talking about Kathleen Hanna. If you've not seen The Punk Singer, the documentary about the lead singer of um, Bikini Kill, classic Riot Grrrl band. Um, this documentary is totally bananas. And by that, I mean, I absolutely love it. I wish I owned it. I don't. But Act 3 is entirely about her Lyme's disease diagnosis. It's wild. Can't do it. It's you should not watch it because it will be like, you can't get it out of your head. Also, she arbitrarily was like, there will be no men as talking heads in a film about my life except my husband.
0: So, like, do you want to know, like, do you want to know some like leads that I have on Grand Mary?
1: Yeah, let me hear it.
0: So, again, I'm like kind of lurking around these different fan sites. We learned that Grand Mary has beautiful penmanship. I like that. I like to know that there's like some like quality standards here. Sure. Here's what's like further haunting to me. She was once married and later widowed. How? We don't know. Her first husband, William, is a topic in the cry of the loon. Samantha finds the story of their courtship romantic. They met in 1865, a month before William went to England and wrote letters every week for a full year. They were engaged upon his return so timeline he goes to england presumably that's where he meets archibald like also who's traveling at the end of the civil war yeah this like, doesn't I make just sense think, i think there's a lot of blood money that we're not well talking and it's like about. why
1: is he mixing with the royal navy like what's I, up are you an arms dealer what are you doing
0: do you honestly believe he earned that title
1: Archibald how dare yeah. you speak about Archibald Allison he's already heartbroken okay oh my god I, I mean, I'm sorry. this I, man I, this man is like a man out of time already in 1904 like he belonged in 1814 where his father could have totally respectfully bought him a rank in the Royal Navy and he'd be like how am I qualified not like not an ounce like my dad's check cleared thank you
0: so we have to set a few things up for people to understand this story. Cause like a lot of people were really concerned for us. Understandably. Like yeah. we were so reeling about not getting the wedding. Right.
1: I'm still upset about that. Also. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to interrupt you. Continue. I'll, I'll deal with this later.
0: No. So like, you know, in like classic Samantha fashion, like I learned in the course of like research and reading DMS for this episode, not only is there an archibald and grand mary wedding in autumn 1905 what uh, yeah so that's two weddings in one year i'm paying attention the march wedding of 1905 between gardner and cornelia is covered in a short story that first originated in the magazine and it's a shock
1: in what way in that like they don't marry each other
0: so they do they do marry each other Here's here's my issue. I need to read to you like a very brief passage. Like when I say that this story shook me to my core and it's only about 11 pages. Fair. um, In a very small book. I want to share with you how this wedding ends because I think it's revealing. Guard is waiting for Cornelia you know, at the altar and like standing with her are these three youngsters. Cornelia has no friends, which I don't buy. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't buy that there's no friends slash like lovers at this wedding. Um, Through the fine lace of the veil, Cornelia smiled at guard. Then she too winked at Samantha.
1: (gasps) (laughs) Okay, so
0: it's like that's for us.
1: Like, she's like, look, Samantha, you know what this is.
0: (laughs) She's like, Someday when you have your own sham heterosexual wedding, you can wink back at me. She's like,
1: someday when I write your letter of reference to Smith College,
0: we'll sit (laughs) down and have a
1: convo about what this was all about.
0: Yes. There's, um, There's also like... This is a well that like these authors cannot go to enough. And this is where I think it like puts us back into this story. There's shenanigans with like a tangential character named Alice who messes about with Cornelia's veil. And she's like, yes, everyone focus on that as the problem with this wedding. And so Samantha (sighs) runs back to the family's estate and she finds her own mother's wedding veil and then like subs it in. And kind of where I'm at with this is like, It's very, very interesting to me the way that when we read Josefina and Josefina um, shared this like very valuable bond with her mother through her things. Mm -hmm. It's like, I think that's both like a very valuable trans-historical concept and one that's like, if not overdone in this series, like done to such different ends, story by story.
1: Yeah, it, it strikes me as odd, too, because if you think about this as like a branding opportunity not to be that person, but here we are. When <laughs> yeah. when this series centers material objects, there are times when it makes sense historically and it showcases the value of material things as sites of history, But this is also a brand that's obsessed with storytelling. So it's fascinating to me that we have so much death off screen or like off page in these books. But you're right that when characters are mourning or want to connect with a loved one who has passed, they almost always turn to material objects that they explore on their own without an adult to grieve and to bond. And they're the reliance never seems to pivot the other way to say, I actually want to grieve or explore my grief using storytelling, like to explore the memory of a loved one with say like grand Mary or someone else. Like there's no scene yet of Samantha going to grand Mary saying like, can you tell me a story about my parents?
0: Yes. Um, No, my thought was genuinely like, There's not a world in which Cornelia would not be like tied to spiritualism, I feel. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and it strikes me as odd because I think it would be a both and. Like, I think Mm -hmm. so many people talk about the Victorian period and this kind of period after the Civil War as being a generation that was so familiar with death and would have been kind of obsessed with it in a way, in a both kind of narrative way and. Material culture way, and one kind of becomes a gateway drug for the other. Like you could imagine that maybe Grand Mary is wearing, you know, a lock of grandfather's hair in a locket or something, and uses that as a way to kind of talk about him, or the photos that might be in the house, or you know, anything that is part of this material culture of grief and grieving. And yet, that's it's not been in the the decoration of the house, the main house that we've heard um, mm. that I can recall. So it seems like a misread to be like, oh, people were repressed back then. Like, we'll just make that assumption when in fact, like, in many ways, people were more comfortable and adept at speaking about death than people are now. Like, if you read The Republic of Suffering, like this idea of the good death and planning your death and how you would want your deathbed scene to kind of play out was commonplace and spoken of without, you know, shame or awkwardness. And now, like, that's not something that people are necessarily as comfortable with.
0: Well, and and to your point, If they died in 1900 when Samantha was five years old, there is a very good chance, given her social class, that she could have spent really up until the time she was like seven mourning them and, you know, in a very formal and ritualized way. And it does make you wonder if there was like an intensive period when she was like five and six years old where she and grand mary and other family members were like deeply in mourning i'm sure guard rode that for a while to avoid (laughs) dating
1: yeah oh yeah he made that kind of work for him
0: this you know so the particular way in which they die and i know we haven't talked like as much about like what actually goes on in this but like in a lot of ways there's replays of the previous book where the twins encourage and engage in hijinks and they really push Samantha to both like explore her mother's and her father's objects and then to see this like visual of them enjoying time on this small island and that's what pushes them to actually like take this trip but it got me thinking about like how common or not drowning was in that time period, and like if this was based on a real person, um, and really the extent to which, like, drowning just for the sake of like there not being widespread swimming education would have been mm. pretty common in her world.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. I guess I hadn't thought about that, but and also just like the trauma of that, um, that you're not sort of you have no warning, it's not like an illness. Um, No, you know, and it's also an interesting circumstance, too, because sort of the conceit of this book is that Samantha's with the twins, who it's like, I don't even want to talk about them. I think they're a bad influence. I'm just going to say that they're a bad influence. And so they bring up this island and are like, oh, like teardrop island in the distance. We should go there. And Samantha basically like freaks out and is like, no, I will never go there. It's dangerous. And that's when we learn that that's where her parents died. Like we're returning from teardrop island. But they go up into the attic and that's where they stumble upon some of her parents things, which I found was really interesting that they're not in the attic of the main home, Mm -hmm. like the main residence, like they're weirdly in the attic of the summer camp. Um, And it just felt like very strange to me that. So in the in the sketchbook, she finds a sketchbook that's very meaningful because it shows her with her parents, which you have to imagine like that actually was sort of emotional because she's probably tried to imagine herself in a scene with her parents in her own imagination. And here it's like her mother, who she has really no memory of, has literally rendered that perfect these perfect scenes for her. And it kind of opens up her grieving and her desire to know them. And so that's why she agrees to go to this island. But it's kind of like she's in a lot of those images. So in other words, like when they were going to Teardrop Island, she went with them. So why wasn't she with them on the day in question?
0: It it does. I mean, I'm not trying to like put anything on the admiral. It does raise some questions because he's been there wow. annually. Um, I thought something that was like very much in keeping with the time and like very... um. You know, like kind of interesting, like as a young girl to like read about this, um, Agnes makes the comment that Lydia was a very good artist. And so they're all kind of like looking around at what's effectively her nature journal and they see, quote, tiny, perfect drawings, birds and squirrels, trees and butterflies. There were larger watercolor paintings, too. The colors were soft and shimmery as if they came through the mist of a rainbow. Um, And something I really liked about this section of the book is like Samantha is discovering her mother as a person and Mm. an artist. Um, And it's like, you know, it's still written for children. So it's like they're hitting you over the head with the fact that it's teardrop island. It's like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) subtle. Like there's a waterfall of joy. They're, it's called Teardrop Island um, and they're wearing these kind of like big floppy hats and like that was like a really like it, it's a scene that went from being very playful and light and like they're rummaging through adults things to like very intense in this kind of moment of like Samantha has tried painting with Agnes and Agatha and like it's kind of a disaster, right? Like there's not a ton of natural talent.
1: Well, you get the feeling that this isn't something that they do often, which is kind of interesting because it's like painting and artistic skill could theoretically be something that would be cultivated by a woman, a girl of Samantha's class as like kind of like a finishing school skill. Like this is something that could make her, you know, admirable or interesting. And it was an acceptable talent or interest by a society, a woman in society Um, if not, but not as a profession, obviously. So it's interesting that like her mother pursued that and was sort of a naturalist, like painting Mm. and drawing things that she witnessed in nature. And yet Samantha's interactions with art and with nature seems to be like experiential. Like she seems to connect to the experience of putting paint on a canvas and reflecting it like the awkwardness of her proportions as a painter but Mm. she's not trying to like seriously render one of the twins in a portrait or using it to document something that she sees it's all about like being in the moment for her
0: it also shows you how much like gender and gender performance like ties into how we interpret something like Mm. so that that chapter is is the sketchbook right and You know, it's interesting to look at this from the longer perspective. Someone like Emily Dickinson was a very talented writer and also someone who cared a lot about the natural world. And when she's paired with a contemporary, like, Thoreau, it's like, well, Th- you know, Thoreau is an environmental genius. Like, <laughs> right. they, they both have comparable levels of actual training and understanding the world. If anything, Emily actually has more. But you look at the way, like, people used to, and I don't think they do anymore, but, like, used to talk about the way that she would take parts of the natural world and, like, play with them in her own kind of... um. Uh, greenhouse obviously I'm very very nature. I couldn't think of the word you are you're so
1: you're so of the earth Allison
0: like the way that she was interested in plants and the breeding of plants and the way that she would take pieces of the natural world and make these beautiful displays of them it's like this taken from a different perspective is a naturalist attempt at organizing and classifying the world. I'm, I'm not saying Samantha would be expected to think that, but people would kind of be very dismissive of these women's books because it was like, well, it's just women, you know, picking flowers.
1: Right, exactly. Whereas even like Teddy Roosevelt, who was doing his own DIY uh, taxidermy in his bedroom as a child and then through to adulthood, And was obviously very interested in biology, which is what he studied in college and organizing the natural world in a very kind of comparable way, even though for him, it was clearly a hobby. He was taken much more seriously. He and other men, you know, of that class who had the, you know, the privilege of the free time to explore that um, because he was a man like purely that's the difference. And so it is kind of a shock now to look back and think about how we can recover or reinterpret women's interactions With the natural world, you know, as part of this kind of early scientific work in ways that we're totally kind of hiding in plain sight or allowed to before.
0: There's also, I think, one of the best moments of the whole series, which is page 34, where Samantha actually comes across the waterfall and she has this moment of recognition. um, And there it was looking exactly the way it did in her mother's painting. And so she has this kind of like appreciation for her mother. And also it's just like this beautifully framed illustration um, where she's seeing this thing that she knows her mother had the same exact vantage point of. And I thought that part was like, we all have that as a relatable moment of like, you've seen something in pictures so many times. And then to think like, she's having this moment, like my mother and father were here and like, they loved me here, right? Like how special that is for her. And I just wish the twins weren't there.
1: <laughs> I know. I do not want the twins in this book because it's like actually really interesting to think about the material culture that they each engage, which is like for Samantha, like the minute she stumbles on the sketchbook, it's a very like sacred object for her. And really, it's for her a main object to conduct this ritual to retrace the steps of her parents and try mm-hmm. to like almost seduce a memory of them because it's like she so desperately wants to connect with them. And then it happens for her at the waterfall, but you can connect like thinking about vacation culture and the evolution of even the idea of taking a vacation. It's like, okay, here's a really meaningful souvenir you might say of a trip. And it's a souvenir that's based in an experience and a memory of an experience you have with your family. Cut to page 18 and we (laughs) see the objects the twins are making. We see a press that, the twins were using to press wildflowers that they found. And then we also see a pine cone or pine needle um, pillow that they've embed, um, embroidered. And it just says, I pine for you, which like Also, I kind of love because I love puns, (laughs) but it's like these putting these like objects in conversation. You have such a different story of the same vacation.
0: So you could not have known this, but you teed me up perfectly to talk about something that a listener actually emailed to us. I'm not exaggerating, like close to a year ago, which is about Samantha's backpack. Whoa. Um, Yes. And so she had written to us and it just like stood out so vividly. I, I made sure to dig back like through our files. Um, Listener Caitlin who actually works at Acadia National Park is a conservation paleobiologist and plant ecologist um, as if we didn't already feel bad enough about ourselves today because that's like very cool. Um, And she calls that a real life piney point um, which is a really important like historical connection because the Adirondacks and Acadia are on these kind of parallel tracks of being developed as campgrounds essentially for the rich um but she wrote to us specifically because samantha's uh you know what she's carrying is actually a wabanaki basket hmm. so she writes to us that she had no idea what this was, what this was and then but she was a samantha And she was at the Abbey Museum um, in Bar Harbor, and she saw an artist, an indigenous artist named Gabrielle Frey's Utility Baskets. Hmm. Um, And this had been part of an exhibit called Indians and Rusticators, um, which was about the connections that local Wabanaki people made with what she calls the fancy summer people on Mount Desert Island, which is Almost exactly the same as um, the kind of wealthy community that surrounded the Adirondacks. And she says she was walking through this exhibit and she says, like, this is Samantha. Like, Samantha is doing this same kind of thing, um, wearing an ash and sweetgrass basket as a kind of backpack or satchel. um, Which is such an interesting connection and, like, very deep indigenous connection to these two different summer camp communities.
1: I think that's fascinating. And it totally makes sense. But and it's kind of fascinating that in a way, like the production of this book has mirrored the history it's meant to represent. And by that, I mean, the linkage to an indigenous um, artifact or material object has been erased both mm. in the way that American Girl has produced this book, including the peek into the past, but also, of course, in Samantha's time. Like, we, we don't have a scene where she's like, oh, by the way, you know, this is where I got this backpack. It's actually this other thing that's not from my culture, but I'm fascinated. Or a way of kind of, like, pivoting to be inclusive or at least acknowledge the appropriation that likely happened in this period, right? But at least to note that and and kind of, like, shine a light on it. And it's also fascinating because in the peak in the p- into the past too, one of the notes I had was that there's a complete erasure of indigenous culture from conversations about the air quotes frontier
0: yes, yes.
1: and the air quotes fr- like roughing it.
0: So like so many things. one thing I just want to say about baskets specifically. I remember as a high school student, an expression I heard over and over was apply to the school you want to go to. And I'm sure you heard this too. And say that you'll major in anything, including basket weaving. Mm -hmm. Did you ever hear this? Yep. Oh, yeah. And the the whole sort of joke of it was like, then you can get in and, and pick a harder major, but try to get in on a less popular one. And I think about like what I know now and I think there's so much on, and I went to a women's high school that was like pretty progressive in some ways. This whole notion of like basket weaving being a joke has these anti-indigenous undercurrents of like basket weaving is often an act of resistance. Yeah, And I remember going to a museum actually in Portland, Maine a few years ago, and I was so completely embarrassed because I thought of how like I've also used that expression and looking at baskets as a form of art in the same way that textiles and these other kinds of like women's traditions are are very much in the same Bane. And I was thinking, wow, that's like such a sad and dismissive comment that says more about you than it does about baskets, which I didn't have the education to know. Mm-hmm. And now that I do, it's like you look at these pieces. I could not make that if my life depended on it. Right. And so to kind of make this joke of it when actually it's this tremendously complicated art form we so like live in the world that Samantha started to experience of like, there's a fixation on guard and the car and the telephone, but the craftsmanship of something like that basket warrants nothing.
1: Right. And like, this is also during the period of the arts and crafts movement. So Mm. like, this is a time when mostly white artisans were air quotes reclaiming doing handmade furniture, hand printed wallpaper, you know, to in some ways react a reaction against like the industrialization of all of these objects, which sort of removed from it under their perception, the idea of like, this is made the making of this is an art, and we are artists. Um, So there's actually a reality show that brought together artists now to live in a house. It's called like Victorian Arts and Crafts or something like that. I'll post it. It was kind of insane because, of course, like there's one man who like mansplains to everyone else there about like how to make everything. But every week they have to make an object for a different room in the Victorian mansion drawing on the arts and crafts movement. But what that basically does is also even in its own time, displace indigenous people, and others from being considered artists or skilled because it's like white people are coming yet again to appropriate like we can we are the only ones who can make a basket and be considered artists doing so. Um and so in a way it's like a different kind of arts and crafts colonialism.
0: No, you're absolutely right. Um William Morris. God, I feel like I talk about William Morris to everyone. It's like literally no one has asked. And I'm like, did you know William Morris? <laughs> I'm <made> interested. <laughs> yeah, I
1: love the wallpaper. Did,
0: did you know he was a socialist who made wallpaper? Um, but the whole kind of like underlying thrust of this book and Samantha's experience is rich people play at things that are other people's lives, right? right. Like that's an underlying current of her life. I think why we've enjoyed reading her is she is a child who sees this clearer than other adults around her. And she asks interesting questions. And I think that's also what makes her like palatable and enjoyable as a young person who's kind of navigating us through these spaces. Um, Like the way that they have, you know, gone to different locales and it's like they're playing at it. But it's not real, like they're living in a cabin, but they would never actually live in a cabin. And that's a function of their privilege. And even Samantha and the friends kind of being like, well, we'll be artists now, right? Like as if they're out at Weir Farm or something, you know, like "Well, we'll just be artists for the afternoon. Samantha is kind of a pleasurable point of view because she's young and she's still kind of like, wait, what are we doing? Yeah, like she's so
1: innocent (laughs) with it that it's like you can laugh with her and at her in a
0: way, but like
1: you can forgive her because she's a child. And so it's like she's sort of in a way like an anthropologist, like what is this people of which I'm a part? Like what are their rituals? What are their practices? And it lets us kind of as historians – that with her and also have a state of wonder and sometimes disgust and sometimes like giant question marks like in the air like what is happening who are these people but there's a lot of it that does resonate like when i was reading this book part of what i was thinking about was um there was a new york times story a couple weeks ago about these air quotes poor new yorkers who had to and allison i just want to like trigger warning this is really (laughs) sad i know they had to flee their really expensive apartments to live in their summer homes, which are themselves mansions. And now it's like they're there for an indefinite period. And like, you wouldn't believe how difficult it is to do a kitchen reno during a pandemic. Like, how am I supposed to live like this?
0: I, I can't talk about that. I mean, I that really might wish be you had told far. me we were going to go there on air because I'm just not.
1: I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> I know sometimes I take things too far and it's like, I have to sit with that. I need to do some self-work. But, you know, it's just hard. I wish we had solved that historical problem of, you know, income inequality that's affecting the wealthy this way. Like, that's really hard. But
0: But we live in the world, I think, like, We were critical of the peek into the past segments because like we were socialized and educated to kind of think in the way that those sections are written because our teachers were also of a similar kind of training and often thinking, which is rich is the default. Everything else is a sad exception. Right. And the way that leisure and the leisured class are written about in the back of this book You know, much like kind of the thing of like, oh, well, you know, people went to academies and people learned this kind of training. Wrong. That's like a 1% type thing. This experience, you know, part of what changes in Samantha's lifetime, this is um, 1910. Within six years, the National Park Service will be formally created. And part of the notion is like, well, more people should get to have this kind of experience in air quotes nature. What's left out of both this book and then I have the Samantha's World book is the extent to which like that process happens by displacing mostly poorer people. And then obviously the huge category of indigenous people. We're like, we actually live here. Like right. this isn't an experience for us. Like we actually like that this is our our life here. Um I wanna read to you what the Samantha's World Book says. Um Uh-oh. Uh, and actually, like this this book, we'll need to do a whole segment on this when we wrap up Samantha. Every page of this book is more shocking. Like you're part way through and it's like, did you know they had Coney Island? And then there's a page on the triangle shirtwaist fire. and I'm Oh my like,
1: god! Like I guess whoa. no one
0: felt no one felt hemmed in to focus on a, a period. Um,
1: it's like a we like we didn't start the fire approach or nothing at all.
0: <laughs> so there is a segment on page 54 of that book called "Saving Nature," and I'm looking at these words and I went, "Oh boy, reformers worked to save nature." By 1904, railroads crisscrossed the country. Mining and logging camps spread into the western United States. The wilderness was disappearing and reformers like John Muir wanted to save it. He worked to preserve the Grand Canyon and to save California's redwoods. These trees are kings of the forest, he said. Any fool can destroy trees. They cannot run away. And I read this like, okay, okay, and There's been a big reckoning lately about John Muir. I don't know if you've heard about that.
1: Please tell me more.
0: So there's been like a lot of distancing from organizations like the Sierra Club and like really trying to reckon with the fact that Muir's environmental impulses were also very much tied to eugenics, like right Mm -hmm. in the same way that. You know, Margaret Sanger also had a deep interest in eugenics, like their progressive capital P projects were about social improvement. Mm-hmm. And to a large degree, they believed that included people in ways that were very harmful to their contemporaries. Um, and I I read that and I think like, you know, the point of us bringing that up is, is not to say like that that paragraph was poorly written, but to say it's why there are so many people for whom these quote wide open spaces and wilderness are so unwelcoming because it was built on the backs of like their ancestors being displaced and told they didn't use it correctly.
1: Yeah, exactly. First of all, points to you for working the chicks reference into that, but (laughs) also it's like, you know, (laughs) you know, I I have a lot of questions about that, but I'll leave that for another day. Um, Like,
0: He's the big mistake. Like, yeah. That's, like that song, I people don't know this.
1: People that don't know. Song. They actually were really, they were really tapping into something. I I feel like that song is actually about Teddy Roosevelt and I don't have a lot of time to get into it, but I think it's about his time in the Badlands and it's oh actually God. a critique. So I'm just saying like, please go re-listen to that song and sit with the lyrics. What I do want to say is like, in, <laughs> in this, sp-
0: like, I'm sorry. Am I wrong? Like very brief shout out to my parents who like, you know, made me who I am, put me in a van as a 13 year old and we drove through a lot of the Badlands. And I was like, like the answers in the question, like it's bad (laughs) and it's stunningly beautiful, but inhospitable to many forms of life. I I look back at that now and I'm horrified, like how ungrateful I was. But Anyway, I
1: think you should go listen to Badlands by Bruce Springsteen, because, you know, especially if this involves your parents and that relationship, (laughs) it's like that's really where Bruce is like that's where he lives. Like that's his headspace. But I think a lot of what you're saying about the fact that nature isn't natural is really also important to think about in terms of like the binary thinking that was driving like both the conservation movement, but also the movement by people like Grand Mary to build Like a camp, air quotes camp, that's actually like really a site of privilege. And that's this obsession that people in this time had with the binary between like barbarism and civilization. Mm. And the fact that in many ways, like the way to emphasize how civilized you were was to like pass through like air quotes, savage barbarism and then becoming civilized. So in a lot of ways, that's why you have photographs of rich white people like pretending to be Native Americans or like even Teddy Roosevelt going to the Badlands, like all of this stuff where people are like, I'm going to go air quotes rough it. And then by doing that, it will force me to evolve and become civilized. Um, and it will emphasize like the degree to which I have air quotes evolved past other people. So like social Darwinism and all these other ideas influencing this. So it's not an accident that people like Grand Mary's in the woods pretending to camp and rough it, but also doing so with servants serving dinner at tableside with, you know, probably like monogrammed linens or something. And it's like also I love the detail in here of like the chair that's made from like a tree or something that's made to look rough. It's like the production of that furniture is like the ball game. That's everything you need to know.
0: It, it also, you know, sheds an even like brighter spotlight on why the drowning is such a specific kind of trauma, because it's like people are supposed to have this mastery over the natural world. And that exposes a major cleavage right in like their understanding and their control over their natural environment and it feels so random to them, right? Like they just happen to hit a rock the wrong way. Um- We haven't even like described the supposed climax of this book because I don't really think it... I think it was just bizarre.
1: I just need to read one sentence from that climax that to me was so chilling for this to be in a children's book. And this is on the top of page 50. So now the twins... I'm putting this on the twins. They didn't beach that canoe correctly. So when they made it to Teardrop Island, the canoe sank or like floated away and sank. So when they tried to return home... In bad weather, which the admiral had warned them was a, you know, thing that could happen that day. They were like, wow, we're stranded on the island. What are we supposed to do now? And they're sort of sheltering in place. And the admiral comes to find them. But when he gets off the boat, he slips and falls, cuts his head. He's disoriented. Samantha gets him in his own rowboat. They head out for home. Samantha's at the front of the rowboat calling out, like, where these rocks are that could tear up the bottom of the boat. And she has this thought. She's, like, stuck between, like, the narrow part of the island um as they're trying to get to the, la- the wider part where the their camp is. And she says, it was probably like this the night my parents drowned. I know. Honestly, why is that line in this book? I was like, ah, too real. Like, this is primal.
0: It's primal. It's further proof that the Admiral is a con artist. Okay. Whoa. Like- okay, you're an admiral and you can't get to and from this island. This whole scene was also further proof to me of like, we knew Grand Mary was kind of checked out when a school was happening in her house and she was like, fine. And then with Christmas where she, she was like, I just need to get guard married to a woman. Now it's like you're at the camp, girl, and you have no idea what's going on.
1: She has literally no sense of what's going on. And what's weird is like, is she napping? Because there's that reference where it's like, (laughs) all the adults take naps. Like, that's weird. The kids are like, so like stunned by this. But it's like, okay, she takes an after lunch nap, but they head out in the morning. So where was like, where was her antenna? Like at that point?
0: We also learn once again that like because this is something you've pointed out before. This is probably my favorite saves the day book of all the ones that we've read thus mm-hmm. far. But it's always the nine to ten year old who's responsible for like solving a family trauma or like fixing some kind of long-standing issue. Like, it's clear Grand Mary has not fully dealt with the loss of her daughter and son-in-law and, like, what it means to be a parent to her granddaughter. Yep. And Samantha has to kind of encourage her to, like, go out to the teardrop island. And based on what else we know, it's like, Samantha also seems responsible for like finally getting her over the hump of like missing her husband, question mark, because she marries the admiral. Oh, my
1: God. That's so honestly, that whole thing is so weird to me. I don't get (laughs) it. Or it's like maybe at this point, Grand Mary has hired a Pinkerton detective to look into the background of the admiral because she's like, listen, I don't know. Like he's got a bunch of whistles, but like he doesn't really seem to like seaworthy. And I need to know, like, financially if he's seaworthy before I'm gonna take him on. Like, is he a scammer or is he the real thing? I don't know. Like, maybe she's genuinely in love with him, but she's like, I don't think he has any money, and I do. So it's like, I need to check into this. I don't, it's very weird to me that the material objects of her daughter's life. Are in the camp attic. It's like the place where you spend maybe a few months a year is where you keep presumably treasured objects. Like that invites a question where it's like, are you mourning so deeply that you can't be anywhere near this stuff? Or is it that like you're forcing yourself to like literally put this out of your mind insofar as like it's as distant as you can get it?
0: I think that's what it is. And I think it's also hinting at like, you know, given this family's tremendous wealth right to some degree it's like there's guard living in the city there's the family in Mount Bedford there's this Adirondack style camp it's like where where are they gonna go next like I think if Val had her share this would be an 18 book series and it's like we'd be everywhere by the end of this
1: oh yeah we'd be going on like the continental tour with them like we would <laughs> yeah. be here there and everywhere I was so nervous I do have to say about Samantha choosing to take the sketchbook with her yeah because I was like listen girl you're going on like a waterway like this book happens to fall overboard like that's a one of a kind treasure. Like, what are you doing with this? I was so nervous, especially when it was storming. But then I hit that line where she was like, wow, I bet this is what it was like when my parents died. I was like, ah, like, I'm not prepared for this.
0: You know, folks warned us. They told us. I don't think anyone appropriately warned me about the twins. But then again, like, did anybody warn Mary Shelley that Percy was going to drown? No.
1: They should have warned her about a lot of things. I'll just say that. But, you know, we grew up in the era of the Doublemint twins and it's like in many ways I should have been prepared for like twins who conduct hijinks. Yes. I was not prepared for this terrible twosome. Like, I'm just going to say that.
0: No. And someone pointed out that we missed the very obvious like Lohan connection. Like, of course, right. Lindsay Lohan and the parent trap, you know, redheaded twins. And I was like, listen, I can't atone for that. I'm sorry. Well,
1: actually, like I'm dealing with my own trauma about that because like Natasha has passed, you know, in your sense of production of that film. So it's like I can't revisit that content because I maybe I'm like I put I repressed that like I'm not ready to talk about it. But it's also like, where are the twins parents and where is Cornelia? Cornelia had said literally one line of dialogue in this entire book.
0: Valerie will never let you get too attached.
1: But it's like we just had a high of like Cornelia converted per- perhaps like the most anti-suffrage woman in the state of New York, like with one speech. And then it's <laughs> like, guess what? I gave you a podium in Central Park in this book. I'm going to totally rob you of speech in book five just because I feel like it. Thanks. Thanks.
0: Now, I want to talk about one more kind of fine point because I think with Cornelia, we've gotten a lot of like fashion. There's a line in the Peek into the past that, quote, people dressed up even when relaxing outdoors, which is also very much a thing based on class. Um, Given our current like status with climate change, I feel like something that is never said enough. And this is not just me being anti-pants, um, Uh-oh. like people, people were wearing a lot of clothes also because it was hot and they needed to cover their skin.
1: Okay. So is this like you just coming out <laughs> against pants? Like what's, where's this, you know, where are you at with this?
0: I don't know. I was just, I, I just, I felt the need to like point that out because I've been getting like intense sun exposure lately on my days off. So I don't know. I just felt like people needed to hear that.
1: Cause and you want to like return to that?
0: No, but I also feel like people are very quick to be critical of, like, leisure clothing from other eras when, like, Mm. they didn't necessarily have the language about skin cancer that we would understand today. But, like, a sunburn is a trans-historical, unpleasant experience.
1: Okay. I respect that.
0: I did also want to add one more quick thing. I found a story of a couple um, that like, I don't think inspired this book, but that would have been like huge right around this time, um, which was a real life story of a drowning in the Adirondacks of a woman named Grace Brown. Hmm. And she was a, um, a working class woman who was with someone a bit wealthier. And this was like a big kind of a big deal at the time, but, I looked up some different statistics on New York State and drowning rates around this time, and I wanted to mention that in part because um, there's a nonprofit in my area called Stages of Freedom, and part of what they do is education around Drowning risk and how a lot of that has to do with race and background. And currently, today, there are groups of children in the United States, um, particularly young people just before teenagehood, um, where young Black people are 10 times more likely to drown than white people of the same age.
1: Oh, wow. Um,
0: And that's like the highest, or sorry, like the largest disparity, but like drowning was a significant problem in Samantha's childhood but i think it's something that like even today is hugely important that nonprofit works to make sure that all young people and especially um black students in providence get access to swimming lessons because even right now with COVID times, like people are desperate for relief from the heat. And so just something I wanted to kind of put out there that like this one kind of one-off story of the parents, like there is this like huge social issue and this disparity around it. Um, Like everything has a history, including drowning. So just something I was kind of doing some digging. Then I started looking at like death and disease rates in New York state records. And I was like, Allison, stop it. Um, But I, I think that's like an important kind of piece of this that like remains a problem, right? It's not something that technology has really changed or done much to lessen over time.
1: Yeah. And I think you can even think about that in some of the apocryphal like college tour narratives of like so-and-so rich person donated money, but she mandated that like everyone has to pass a swim test. Mm Mm-hmm. So that you can, so like no one else can drown on the Titanic or whatever. I, I don't even know if that's based on real history, but I know like Harvard and some other universities have those kinds of stories when you like go by the pool or something of like, oh, our school for 50 years had a swim test, but we got rid of it, but it came from this place and you can still take swimming as a class or whatever.
0: It you can also interpret that as an equalizer, right? Like people who didn't have that opportunity are then like if if, if there's lessons provided, like given that opportunity, right? To mm-hmm. learn. Um, I just want to say, like, I have a question for reader Elise, who called this a good story and fun. What?
1: Elise, <laughs> so, worried about you.
0: Elise, a little worried about you. Very happy for Serena, who came back into the court and just said, what about Nelly? Damn.
1: <laughs> what and about... I, ne- I, to quote Pink, what Serena. about us? We want to care. We care about Nelly. Give us her what back. What about trust?
0: I know. What about trust? Oh, my
1: God. Yes.
0: Um, You know, much in the same way that Nelly, the rapper, left our public discourse, this Nelly um, is, wow. is gone but not forgotten. She is coming back in book six. So...
1: I mean, it's kind of like too little, too late for me, but we'll see.
0: <laughs> I know.
1: I know. Wow. I don't even know what else to say about this book. I feel like spent. I feel like maybe I need to go sign up for swimming lessons. I don't really know what to do with myself at this point. It's I'm
0: very glad that we read it in the summer. I, I think, you know, it was a camp without a lot of camp, but I... Enjoyed well, kind of going through yeah. this with Sam, you know. Sam like-
1: and Uncle Guard, who's cool for the summer. If you know what I'm talking <laughs> about.
0: Oh my god! Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, I I think my favorite line of this exploration thus far has been when I mentioned their marriage and you said to each other
1: (laughs) that's a real question I have
0: I know I refuse to
1: read the short story about their wedding because it's like there are certain kind of like I don't do sci-fi I don't do fantasy so like (laughs) (laughs) I can't I just can't I'm sorry there it's a bridge too far I'll do a lot for this show I'm not doing that like I know what's up and I'm not doing that
0: there's just like unspoken things in our friendship. It's like, there's certain things I'm not going to do. It's like, I know you're not going to read these like certain one-offs. It's like, I just know. Yeah. And it's like, I do for team and you do other things. Um.
1: (laughs) I just won't. I have to draw a line in the sand somewhere. I can't do it.
0: I know. I love it. Wow.
1: Well, this has been stirring this has been terrifying you know i'm taking some notes to take with me to therapy next week just to work some stuff out um just a quick follow-up on my instagram i did say that i wanted to help save usps by sending more snail mail and i solicited some pen pals because a friend of ours did that and i thought that was cool and i didn't really think it through got a lot of responses going to get into it. I have to get a P.O. box because I'm going to keep giving USPS as much money as humanly possible, it seems. So like to anyone who has contacted me about that, like I will be in touch with you. I just need to set up some infrastructure. Thank you.
0: That was the most Leo request of all time. What do you mean? But also I need to.
1: (laughs) Well, it was like it was a sincere ask. Like I I didn't really think anyone would respond, but I was like, oh, that seems like a nice thing to do for the Postal Service. And then like I didn't really think it through. I'll just say that. So and and it's like I cannot give out my home address because also like hopefully I'm moving. So it's like there's a lot of complicated pieces happening. So, you know, I'm working it out like. You know, details are not always my strong suit. So I have to put some stuff in order.
0: Like, some days you're the Agnes of your own life. You know what I mean? Like, how dare you?
1: What do you mean? Like, no. Ag- I accept Agatha Christie, like solving my sure. own mystery, but Agatha the twin? Yes.
0: You know what wow. it is? I think, like, part of why we're both, like, totally put off and just, like, accepting their toxic energy this summer is it's like, other things happening in the world are so much worse and they're so cartoonish. So yeah,
1: it's, okay. it's like a caricature or it's just something that's so insane I can lose myself in it. It sort of does for me what Murder, She Wrote does where it's like this is insane and I can just like escape into this headspace. But also I do really want a pillow that says I pine for you. Like that's where I'm at right now.
0: Listen, I think we can make that happen.
1: Maybe in the merch store. We'll see. I'll work it out.
0: Mm, I Maybe. Like like
1: in tribute to uncle guard like i don't know who he pines for it <laughs> but i'm rooting for him
0: also i have a bunch of it saved never stop sending us weird car art with guard i oh my god it and i save it so thank you i
1: might maybe i'll make that into a zine of some kind that would be fun yeah. oh my god yeah if you have any more uncle guard cart car please send it to allison also any of you who have sent pictures of your saturns or your former saturns like thank you appreciate that
0: I'm not engaging that.
1: I did get some messages this week about that. So I'm just acknowledging that, you know. Yes. And
0: we have a film. We're very excited about that. We have lots of ideas for like Samantha extras. Please reach out to us if there's anything that you're interested in, because um, we always love to kind of engage with like fan remixes. So different thinking about different ways to like take Samantha into the present, um, which may also include a syllabus. And thank you so much again to Elizabeth, who's interning with us. She is working on getting all of our transcripts up to date, which is hugely important to us. Big time. Thank you again.
1: Thank you, Elizabeth. And also, Allison, do you want to announce what our August Patreon is going to be?
0: I do. We are reading a book called Murder at Hull House. Um, So it's, it's like two of my favorite things melded together, Jane Addams and True Crime. It's a fictional story about a murder at Hull House. The author like does this. She picks like hot historical women and just places a murder in their timeline. So that will be our Patreon.
1: I respect the hell out of that. Can't wait. And (laughs) (laughs) we'll see. That might be our retirement plan. We'll see. We might just start doing that. Yes. Yes. And we'll maybe we'll do another watch along. We'll see. We'll figure some stuff out. But we're very, very excited to do this Patreon. We're so, so appreciative of everyone who's coming with us on that journey. Those of you who have bought merchandise, the support of the show is truly stunning to me. And it's such a crazy time in the world that to have this kind of community is a really, you know, just like really helpful thing in my life. So thank you.
0: Yes, and the fact that you support us financially is huge. But honestly, like the other support that you also give us is really awesome. I know that podcasts are so big for me right now. they are ones that I save and are precious to me that I look forward to listening to. Um, and so we're so grateful when you tell us that we have a small role in your life too.
1: We appreciate it. So Allison, where can people find you if they have like, I don't know, pictures of their Saturns <laughs> or Uncle Guard car art or anything else that feels very vital right now?
0: So you can always reach me at Allison Horrocks on both Twitter and Instagram. Um, I'm not very interesting to follow, but please do find me there. Um, and what about you, Mary? Where can people find you?
1: First of all, I'm not going to let you talk about yourself that way. <laughs> not okay. Yes. Not healthy. You're wonderful to follow and to know. So I don't know like what goes on on my social media, but you can future <laughs> pen pals if you're interested, or just you know like want to connect I'm on Instagram at Mimi Mahoney I'm on Twitter at Mary Mahoney 123 and Allison do you want to like tell people how to follow the show which by the way is amazing social media work thank you
0: we are American Girls podcast on Instagram and just casually will mention that we are less than 500 followers away from the 10,000 mark which would let us do other things so just saying. Cryptic. Um, and you can follow us at A Girls Pod on Twitter. And we also love when you write to us or send us an email message. Um, we are accessible there at americangirlspod at gmail.com. And thank you to Elizabeth and Anna for keeping our website up to date.
1: Thank you. We'll see you thank next you. episode. Yay.